Hi, everybody. This is Tracy, and I'm delighted you've joined me for this episode of Good Life Stories. I created this podcast because I believe we are all seeking connection, and what better way to do that than through story? So get ready. These stories are meant to suck you in. Welcome to Good Life Stories. Hey there, and welcome to Good Life Stories. This is your host, Tracy, and I am so excited for today's episode. My guest today is Shelly McIntyre. She is a coach and helps people bring clarity to their lives when they're going through significant personal and professional changes. She and I had a wonderful conversation today about how she came to coaching just some really cool life thoughts, and uh, a whole bunch more. I really hope you enjoy listening to Shelly and learning something from her today. The biggest thing I've learned from her is about something called the grief recovery method. I hope you learned something too today. Thanks again, and welcome to Good Life Stories. All right, everybody. Welcome to Good Life Stories. This is Tracy, and I have on my show today Shelly McIntyre. She and I met during the pandemic and had have had a chance to get to know one another since then. She was very instrumental to me during that time, and I'll share a little bit more about that later. But uh, Shelly's a coach who brings clarity to people going through significant personal and professional changes. And in her coaching, she leverages her former careers in strategy consulting and project management to merge them with her coaching expertise and give her clients space to find the answers they need to move forward. Shelly, thank you so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure to be here. It's nice to see and hear you. Yeah. So, you know, when I asked you about your, you know, your top three good life stories, you were saying that, you know, you were kind of racking your brain and that your general story was mostly about recognizing patterns that you were stuck in, you know, some involving people, some bad and finally waking up. You know, I would love to hear about kind of that series of awakenings, you know, because I said, you said it wasn't like some lightning bolt. It was this you know, I feel like, you know, a series of ahas. And I was wondering if you'd share with us about those. Yeah, you know, it's funny, like, as time goes on, I feel like the, the content or the details of the stories matter less than just this meta pattern, right? So you're in a bad situation, let's say I, I am in a bad situation, and it takes a long time to realize the situation that you're in. It's like frog in boiling water, right? The old metaphor yep. of the the water is heating up and the frog doesn't know that it's boiling until it's too late. And we have this myth in our culture about how we were sleepwalking through our lives or we were completely asleep and then one day you know, a piano falls on our head or something major happens and we have this awakening moment and we go, oh my God, I need to change my whole life right now. But in reality, it doesn't work that way most of the time, right? Something happens and we get annoyed. Something else happens like in a relationship and we feel controlled. And then we start thinking back on our lives and going, oh my God, wait a second, I'm in this pattern of control. And oh, wait a second, is it normal that 
my husband suddenly decided that he hated my best friend and is now trying to prevent me from seeing her. Like, is this other thing normal too, right? And so it's these slow realizations until, in in my case, finally realizing, oh, no, I need to get out of this. But just because you have the awakening doesn't mean that you have the tools to exit that situation well. Yeah. Right? That's the other part of the myth in our culture, that we have this awakening, and then we decide magically to change our lives, and everyone wishes us well, and oh, no, it doesn't happen like that either. (laughs) Right. It's like this this myth that the boat just shows up, and you get on it, and everything changes, you know? (laughs) Exactly, with your Louis Vuitton bag and your hair flowing in the wind, right? No. Exactly. it's messy. All of these transitions that we go through are really messy. So what I look back on in my own life are are these patterns of, oh, you're in it again. Uh, <laughs> start waking up. Oh, you're still kind of in it. Start waking up again. And, and there's this idea, the idea that we were asleep, I, I now reject. I think we were always awake. You were yeah. never asleep, but you were doing the best that you could in that moment with mm-hmm. based on your whole history and maybe even the history of the people who came before you. Yeah. So I feel like I had several of these over the course of probably 20 years where my work was to develop the tools to know that I was in a pattern, first of all. Right. Exit the pattern without leaving fireballs behind me. (laughs) Right. And then recognize the signs for myself so that I didn't get into it again. Yeah. It's really hard. Yeah. No, and I I feel like that's just, you know, listening to you, you know, I think about some of the stuff that you and I have talked about and, and just that... I think, you know, when you're talking about it's like some of it's just seeing the pattern, like seeing it repeated and then maybe recognizing like maybe this isn't the pattern I want. I mean, it's so subtle and so nuanced. There's not this moment, you know. And patterns are insidious as well. And here's the big one of the big tricks that these destructive patterns play on us. It's that they have kept us safe. Mm. And a lot of our behaviors we're doing because at some deep, deep level, maybe an ancient level, we've realized that these patterns will keep us alive. So the very notion of breaking a pattern is like saying, is like saying to our child, no, go be in danger. Go put yourself in the way of the steam train. Right. So it's Step totally, in the middle of the road. <laughs> yeah. It, it's very non-intuitive. It feels risky. It feels gross. Right? Yeah. Breaking a pattern puts like, even though it might not actually be true, we have this old, old story that says, I will be in more danger if I break this pattern right now. Right. Right. Yeah, and I think about that, that stuff that Rob and I have talked about, you know, is that there are things that we build that 
that genuinely serve us when we build them. You know, and and maybe it's from something specific. You know, maybe it's from you know the, some of the work that you and I have talked about around grief. You know, maybe it's some big loss or event, and and you you start a pattern, and you don't even realize you've done it until much later when maybe it's not working for you so well anymore. That's right. And and a lot of times for a lot of people that I work with, it starts in childhood and they don't even really recognize it, right? Mm. <clears throat> All of these patterns and these behaviors are very adaptive. They're they're kind of brilliant. Right? Yeah. So a kid learns that if they just don't say anything, mom won't get mad at them. So they avoid conflict, they learn how to hide in their room, they learn how to kind of leave their bodies so that they're not in danger. And those patterns have proven to that kid that this is how you stay alive and out of trouble. Well, why would they ever give that up? Right. Into adulthood. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting because I, I love how you were phrasing that that you know that they're that changing a pattern is messy, you know, and like I I have a guy who I've been reading this last year who talks a lot about oh, is it the rational excuse? You know, it's like when you're when you're having a rational excuse, you know, the reason they work so well is because like eighty five percent of it is true. It mm. it's not because, you know, you know, you really can't work out this morning. It's because there are a lot of other things that you could make more important than exercising before you get started on your day. And, you know, figuring out how to get past some of that rationalization, if you really do want to do something, is just what you're talking about in that pattern breaking. How do you do that? He calls it the fight through, you know, and he talks about that, you know, whenever you're in the fight through, the way to know you're in the fight through is if you're experiencing a negative emotion about it. And I've found that very helpful, you know, even if it's just talking about working out, like if I'm thinking, oh, I really want to work out, but, but I feel like I should do something else and I'm feeling guilty, like, oh, I'm in the fight through, you know, <laughs> so mm. like, that's been really helpful to just recognize that if there really is something I've put out there that I want to get done and I'm coming up with reasons to not do it, paying attention to, to what's going through my head. Yeah. And, and you can layer on to that, you know, some of the James Clear stuff from Atomic Habits, where mm-hmm. if your goal is to work out, well, that's like, I don't know, this really immediate tactical goal. But your mm-hmm. if your goal truly is to become a healthy person, mm-hmm. or a strong person, or a person who is the type of person who works out, you've got yeah. something loftier to shoot for that can maybe put those negative barriers in a little more context and di- mm-hmm. and kind of diminish their importance. Like, wait a second, what are the be- what are the uh, customary behaviors of someone who wants to be a healthy person, right? Or somebody who is already a healthy person. Well, I see myself as a healthy person and a healthy person works out or any of a myriad number of other behaviors that you could align. Right. Right. I like that. I like that. One of the things I wanted to ask you, uh, because one of your most recent blog posts really hit home with me. And it was the one that was the idea of retiring your old stories. Yeah. 
And I was really curious where that idea came from for you. Because for me, it was I just, I really just felt like somebody walked up and slapped me across the face in a very nice, warm, gentle way, maybe with a soft (laughs) glove, you know, kind of the glove thing, like, hey, because it really made me sit back and think, oh, if I'm going to a holiday gathering, and I'm sharing an old story, why am I sharing it? So I would love to know where where that came from for you and, and how you've seen it kind of show up. Yeah. Uh, it was really specific, actually. Not that long ago, a friend put out this call on LinkedIn, I think, saying, hey, I'm going to write this article about something or other. And if you have stories to share with me um, about this topic, let me know. And I wrote her immediately. And I said, oh, my God, I've got a great story for you. Let me know if you ever want to talk about it. Happy to share. It's a great story. And then after I sent that, I thought, okay, in that story, how did I come across? Like, who what, who was I in that story? And I thought about the particulars of the story. And I thought, oh, if I was a stranger hearing this for the first time, I would think, oh, my God, that person got suckered. Oh, she <laughs> had no idea what she was doing. She made terrible choices. It seems like she didn't consult with anybody before making these decisions. She put herself at risk. She made huge changes without thinking about it. Like, And then I, I just started hearing the story that I had told many times before from the perspective of a stranger meeting me for the first time. And what is the impression that I would leave that person with on the conclusion of that story? And I did not like that idea. I didn't like the person that I would conclude I was. And I thought, well, then what is the point of telling this? The story, first of all, the story is 30 years ago. Right. It's not, that person is a shadow of who I am now. And why would I want to create an outdated image of myself in the minds of others? I love that. That's so sticky. (laughs) So complicated. Like, and that was, but that's exactly what you made me think of. Because I thought about like, you know, whether it's a story with family, or even when I think about like, what stories have I told my children about my childhood, about their grandparents? Like, you know, where does all that land? And, and just like you're saying, like, oh, I don't know if I have really sat and thought about what would a stranger think? What, what is, what is the, the message in this story? You know, and, and, you know, Rob and I talk a lot about, you know, no one wants to be the bad guy in their own life story. So it can be hard to recognize that maybe you're not doing the right thing in any situation. But also realizing like, wait, what if you're telling stories to other people, just like you're talking about, like this outdated version of you and not thinking about it, like just sharing it like, oh, this is good storytelling and enjoying the emotion of telling. I mean, this is really what my entire podcast is about, is about good storytelling and thinking about 
the power, positive and negative, of the stories we choose to carry forward. What is it? And, and for you, it's like that really close examination of why did, I mean, obviously you had a prompt. She was asking for something specific, but why did you go pick up that one? You know, what was it about that, that the back part of your brain went that thing? I want to drag that back out of the closet and share it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, but, but we get reinforcement from, the audiences that we tell these stories to, right? Like when we're telling a story and we're really dishing it out, you know, we can see people go, oh my God, then what happened? What happened next? Right. And, (laughs) and we love that, that, you know, for some of us, that is a really fun interaction, but, and, you know, one of the elements of a great story is that, you know, no one is going to really get seriously hurt in the end. Everybody lives. Right. But I think a lot of times what we do, if we don't want to portray ourselves as the bad guy, we end up making ourselves the butt of the joke. Right. Right. Yeah. The self-deprecating kind of side. Yeah. Yeah. And and we can even play up this like, oh, my God, I was an idiot. I didn't know what I was doing. This was so dumb. And. But somewhere in the minds of our audience, they go, okay, Shelly, idiot, doesn't know what she's doing, dumb, got it. Right. Like, what? Hey, hang on. Right. That's not (laughs) what I want. (laughs) Right. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting because I I love talking about story just in general. And I think one of my favorite things that comes to mind as we're talking about this stories in our past and and what we could retire and, and maybe... Because I think about that story that you just shared, and I thought, you know, if you sat down and figured out a different walkthrough, you could share it as a life lesson versus you being the butt of the joke. You know, like there's a way to tell that story that isn't necessarily shining a light on you as being negative. You could say, hey, look at all this great stuff I learned. This was hard. You know, saying I am here now, that is different, you know, versus really calling it to life as if it's happening right now. Right. Yeah. And 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 it doesn't require like the 20 minute version of the story to do that. Right. Right. You know, the 20 minute versions are the things that should be fun, you know? (laughs) And it's like, and I think, you know, just thinking about that idea and, and roundness of the idea of story. And like one of the things I've talked to my kids about a lot when they encounter something and, and what they share, that teaching them at a very young age about how we share other people's information. Like when we receive precious information and, you know, and having, trying to instill a deep understanding in them of, you know, it might be exciting to go share this because you have a secret and you can like be the person get, that gets that response from people but is it yours yeah you know just <laughs> sitting with the is that yours to share and i've had a couple of times with my son my youngest son over the last year or so where something he ended up sharing something with me because it kind of was found out in a different way and mm-hmm. i had said hey you know 
you 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 hadn't shared with, with me with this before and he was just like yeah mom he's like it wasn't mine hmm. and I was like yeah yes <laughs> there's a win <laughs> but it was just such a I realized that a lot of people don't think like that they don't think about is this mine you know and and how precious those stories can be if you just hold them for someone yeah because we also learn really early on that information is currency yes yes very and much so. and we don't think that that the sharing of that information can quickly turn us from confidant to gossip right and then we're not only engaged in this you know now we've created this three or four multi connected relationship between the the story and us and the person that it's about and the receiver now we have indicated to others that we can't be trusted with confidential information right right yeah, yeah. That's, a, like, that's a hard one that's hard yeah it's got to bite you in the butt once or twice until you really oh, go, yeah. oh gosh yep all right yep that was bad you know <laughs> none, none of us get out of that completely yeah, and actually that I feel like that brings up another thing about how these lessons have to be experienced. Yeah. You know, we can tell ourselves, we can read all the books and we can tell the kids all the things, right? But it it it's intellectual information until it hits your body. Yeah. Until it reaches your emotional world and sometimes your physical world. We have yeah. to experience this stuff really to know it. Yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, which is its own challenge in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I want to talk for a second about the grief recovery method, because I remember when you and I first started talking and you sharing that idea. And one of the things I really wanted my listeners to hear was like what that is, because when you and I did that work, like I felt so much healing from that. And I feel like I have such a deep understanding now, even if it's just shifting that from closure to completion, being able to explain that to people. And that like, you know, so just if you could take a few minutes, like, I mean, I how did you find the grief recovery method? Like, I would love to hear, I mean, I know you have a teacher and our coach, but like, where did it, how did it just kind of land with you? Yeah, weirdly, I made my way to grief work in general, starting by trying to figure out where meaningful conversations were happening in the business world. Mm. So... I was still in my consulting job and started looking into like, oh, well, is it experiential marketing? Is it immersive theater? And I started showing up at all these different events and theater productions. And, and I found that <laughs> the, the shows I was going to, the audiences were getting smaller and smaller and smaller until I was going <laughs> to productions that was like me and the, creator. Wow. Like they were one-on-ones. Right. And I was thinking, okay, well, where else are these one-on-one -on -one conversations reliably happening all the time? And the immediate answer was in the death care space. 
Interesting. So I just started meeting all these people who worked in hospice and were death doulas and a lot of young women who are frankly kind of revolutionizing the end of life community right now. Yeah. Um, and met some people who were like, listen, here's a great entry point for you, the grief recovery method. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Will you take a second and explain what the grief recovery method it, you know, as briefly as we can? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of course. Well, this is a kind of a methodology to work through a loss. It doesn't have to be a loss of uh, by death of a person, but it can be that. So it can be death or estrangement or a betrayal or any kind of loss with another of another person whether they're living or they have died. And it's a method that's been around for 40 years. It was created by a guy named John James, who uh, died last year, actually. And the belief behind the grief recovery method is that it grief is an energy that lives in your body. And it has to move out of your body in some way in order to be released. We're not saying that it cures grief or that grief goes away completely, but your relationship with it can change. So you take a series of steps, starting with learning about grief and how you handled grief and how you learned about grief in your life and looking at your whole history of grief, of losses, you know, from I moved when I was eight and I lost all my friends to my first breakup with a boyfriend, to this important person in my life dying, like you catalog everything. And then you really dive into one particular loss and explore the good stuff that happened, the really difficult stuff that happened, maybe things that you might need to apologize for, other things that they did that you might need to forgive or you might be ready to forgive. And just, you know, listing the things that you never got to say to that person. Yeah. And you get it all out. And, and you end up speaking these things aloud to a stand-in. And that's the, usually the specialist like me. Yeah. And it helps create this ritual around working through grief where you have something to do. You have tangible steps to take. You have certain things to write. You can send off a letter that you write by burning it or shredding it or soaking it. You can make it really physical at the end. And then also you've learned this methodology, this tool that can then be applied to any other loss in your life. Yeah. So... I've gone through this process personally, like when I was learning the grief recovery method, I had to, you know, process some of my own losses. Right. And it can be, a, it can hook you a little. Yeah. Like, you, <laughs> you know, you go through this cataloging of the relationship and then you write it all down and then you release it. I've probably done that now with eight different relationships. Nice. Nice. And some of these people are still in my life. Yeah. Like you don't have to wait till somebody dies. 
yeah. <laughs> to do the grief recovery method. If you've had yeah. a diffi- difficult relationship with somebody or there's a big transition moment with that person, there's a rupture yeah. in a friendship or there's an estrangement or just something really difficult happens and you don't feel like it's a possibility anymore to sit that person down and say, yeah. I got some things to tell you. <laughs> that's not always the best strategy, right? Right, right. Yeah, so that's kind of it in a nutshell. I love that. You know, and I think the if I could share one idea with the audience about what I got out of working with you on this, because it was a fascinating process. And I was so grateful to have someone like you on the other side to be such a great receiver of that precious information, mm-hmm. uh, but was helping me move on the idea of, you know, people talk about um, completion, not completion, closure on relationships, yeah. you know, and like, I remember talking about my relationship with my mother who died 16 years ago. And that, you know, people talk about, oh, you know, did you get closure? I needed to see the body to have closure. I needed to do this thing. And I remember when we were talking about it, you know, that the idea of closure means that like something ended. And that had always felt strange in relation to my mother because she's still very much a part of my life. You know, I see her in my children. I have things in my home that remind me of her. So it's not that relationship, though, is not, I am no longer participating in it. It's not over. Right. You know, and so talking about like completion really, I felt like was very healthy cleanup, you know? (laughs) Yeah. That's what that process felt like around her was what were the things I wish I could have said? What are the things going on now that I would love to share with her? And that now that I've gone through that process with you, I feel so much clearer about when I have something that I really want to share with my mom, I just sit down and write her a letter. And it feels Beautiful. amazing because yeah. I feel like I'm I'm communicating with her, even though it's just me getting my my thoughts and feelings out on the page. This is what I really would love to tell you right now. And it doesn't have that that sadness that it used to, you know, before I went through that process with you. Because I found that whenever I tried to do that before, I really kind of got caught up in just the feeling. I couldn't get past the feeling to write. Now I can write. And even if I might cry a little bit, I'm not stuck. Does that make sense? So, so yeah, so that's, uh, that's pretty awesome. Thank you for that. So what is a brain melting fabric craft? Oh, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> well, for me, it began as quilting. So I decided to like, I'm going to make a quilt. And so I made a really terrible scrappy quilt that I was just sort of half-assing. And (laughs) then I saw some pictures on Instagram or somewhere of just these beautiful, intricate quilts. And I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to go straight to black diamond quilting. So I thought, okay, I will try English paper piecing quilting. Oh, Lord. Which is where you... (laughs) You have this huge, huge pattern and you sew fabric onto paper 
which perforates the paper, but then you have to keep the whole thing together until you rip all the paper off. And some of these, and the first one I did was just, it, I would, I would be crying and sewing at the same time. Like yeah. I didn't have really great hand-eye coordination. My spatial abilities are not so good. I'm not the person <laughs> that can like imagine a dodecahedron exploded inside out. Right. I can't do that. Right. Right. So it was so frustrating and made my brain hurt and it's oh, yeah. all I wanted to do. Yep. <laughs> like after a while, when you learn these new skills, right. And you get to the point where you're kind of get into a flow state. Oh, the flow state. It's amazing. the yeah. flow state that I finally found. It was hard to get there. It's but, a huge skill set to get that down. Oh, man. Yeah. So so for me, that was quilting. And then it turned into weaving. Oh, wow. And weaving is hard. And then it turned into passementery, which is like a technique of weaving fringes and trims. And Oh, wow. Yeah. Just wow. Yeah. So I love to sew. I sew clothing. Um, yes, you do. Oh, my God. You're the master at this. One of my friends is a really, pa her daughter is a really passionate quilter. And I remember we, we were talking about fabric and she was looking for something and, and, and you know, she was looking for a piece of fabric like this big, like an inch circle. And I'm just like, that makes me nuts. Please go away. Yeah. You know, like my quilts are lopsided. They are lumpy. They are the epitome of scrap quilts, but they are perfect for me because they are mental floss. Like when I'm not ready to, to, create something, I can just sit down and, and ram out, you know, a baby quilt top in like two hours. I'm done, you know, and just because I know I can do that. Yeah. But like, so for me, I, I don't ever want to learn paper piecing. Like I've looked at it and I'm just like, oh, that looks like torture, like <laughs> awful, awful torture. I just couldn't do it. So I have like huge, huge mad respect for anybody who can even do that because it makes me nuts. So that was fun. Where do you go open water swimming? Oh, and, uh, you know, and I have to be honest, it's been a, it's been a minute since I've done it in the winter anyway, because I used to do it in the yeah. winter as well as the summer. So in yeah. the, you know, in the summertime, it's usually the lake or the sound. And in the winter in the past, it's been the Puget Sound, um, yeah. because in the winter, the, the sound is warmer than the lake. Oh, that's right. It would be. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Which is like, I mean, terrifying to think of describing the Puget Sound as warm. You know, people just don't understand like it's hypothermia land. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's why they have wetsuits. You can have a wetsuit if you want. Exactly. That's what wetsuits are for. That's yeah. what wetsuits are for. Excellent. I wasn't sure if you had like done any kind of traveling around open water swimming. And I was just thinking, I, I just think of boats, you know. <laughs> I feel like you need one of those giant flags they have up for divers, you know. Oh, <laughs> I I will tell you that a few months ago we were my husband and I visited New York City and we went out to Rockaway Beach and I went swimming at in the ocean at Rockaway Beach um, yeah and apparently it the ocean was closed that day so um, these security guards kept like screaming at me to come back in because I would be diving under the waves and trying to body surf and 
ended up just stationing themselves on rocks to make sure I didn't go too far because um, <laughs> I guess I'm a bit of a daredevil when it comes to ocean swimming. Nice. Nice. Okay, that's kind of cool. I love that. <laughs> um, so when I looked at your webpage, you mentioned something on there about menopause coaching and ceremony. Mm. How did yeah, you start that conversation? Because I went and I'm like, oh my. So I spent like two hours like researching what is a menopause ceremony and ah. like it was really cool. So like I kind of dove into that and I'm so curious what that's what that's starting to be in your practice. Yeah. So menopause. Menopause is a it, it is something that is so common and and that we barely talk about, right? Half the world will experience some kind of menopause. And it could be this incredible ritual moment for women. And for a lot of women, it's happening right at a, the time of their lives that they're experiencing mm -hmm. other transitions too. Yeah. Maybe they're becoming empty nesters. Maybe their careers are changing in a really significant way. Maybe they're starting to just not care as much about certain things anymore, <laughs> right? Like they're coming into their power, really. And they go through this often bewildering up to 10 years of perimenopause with these weird symptoms that affect their health and their relationships and their work. And they finally get through menopause and nobody says anything. <laughs> it's a complete non-event. And I think that's ridiculous. Yeah, I agree with you. It is ridiculous. Yeah. So, you know, because we're in this culture that doesn't have as many rituals as it used to have, and that those rituals are so important, like we just talked about the grief recovery method yeah. and, and how that's essentially making a ritual of completing a phase of a relationship with somebody. Why don't we complete that phase of a relationship with ourselves? So I think there's a, an amazing opportunity to to note and celebrate getting through menopause either by ourselves or in community with other people. I think it could be really powerful in community with other women who are also experiencing it in various stages and hold each other up and say, hey, you've gone through something major and you got through it. Yeah, I think the the thing I find fascinating when I started researching what you're talking about is the concept that it's apparently it's referred to as croning, which I thought was hilarious to think of becoming a crone intentionally, but it's much more around the concept of wisdom and acknowledging that you're yeah. someone who has know, something new to offer but new in in a special way not necessarily as if you've you know somehow changed in a knowledge way but that there's something different so yeah and i i think a lot about the word crone and how a lot of people are trying to reclaim that as a wise woman and not a withered old witch right <laughs> and and i think it's great but there's also 
there are also a lot of people who go through menopause and they don't identify as the wise older woman. Yeah. And so I've started thinking about those two as different groups, actually. Like maybe you're, you know, in your late mid to late 50s and you really feel like you're entering the age of the wise woman and it's coinciding with menopause and so great you know two meal deal but for some women they have to have hysterectomies when they're 35 or they go through cancer treatment and it puts them into menopause and they don't identify yet as the crone Right. Or the wise woman, because they've been thrust into it really early. Right. Like for myself, I completed menopause when I was 47, and I was nowhere yeah. near cronehood at that time. So I think it's possible to still have a ritual to mark the end of your fertility, essentially. Yeah. And all of the complica- complicated feelings that people can have around that, especially for, you know, Trans men go through menopause, and that's can be some really complex feelings to work through. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of very complex feelings on that side. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's fascinating. So, yeah. So, I love the idea of there, there becoming some kind of acknowledgement of that for people that can be positive. Cause I feel like all I ever see on menopause is just sort of the complaining about symptoms. I don't, I don't see an acknowledgement that this is somehow special and important. And I feel like it should be acknowledged that way. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. All right. Let's see. So I've got a couple of other things I wanted to go over before we sign off today. So always love asking people what their superpower is. So would you Mm. share with us what your superpower is? I think I have two and and one of them is choosing the exact right Tupperware container for the food that's left over. Nice. Mm-hmm. And the second is taking one tiny step in the opposite direction of whatever pattern that I'm in that I want to change. Nice. Nice. Oh, I love it. Okay. So I'm going to go ahead. So one of the things that you shared with me is your favorite quote. And I'm just mm. going to read it. Um, of The breeze at dawn has secrets to tell you. Don't go back to sleep. You must ask for what you really want. Don't go back to sleep. By Rumi. I think that is beautiful. And so much of what we've talked about today reflects back to that. When did you find that quote? Years ago. And it, it really struck me when I first heard it, just because of this awakening idea that we talked about at the beginning of our conversation. Yeah. Right? Yeah where you feel like you're sleepwalking, but there's information everywhere if we just pay attention. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. 
So when I asked if you had one thing that you could get done in the next year, you said that it would be take a big risk for your business. What would that look like? I don't know yet what it would look like, but I'm, I have a hunch about, uh, of what it would feel like. Got it. And I think it would feel, I would feel a little shaky and nervous and giddy and scared, but also resolute in the belief that this could be a great thing that other people could really like. So that's what I'm going for. That's amazing, Shelley. I so appreciate all that you were telling me about your next steps. Um, Would you take a moment and as we close, if you would share a little bit about why um, you chose Roanoke Park Counseling and what we should know about them? Roanoke Park Counseling is an organization in Seattle that works specifically with adult survivors of child sexual abuse. And I'm guessing your audience is probably aware of this, but child sexual abuse is so pervasive and there are so many survivors walking among us, but there's a ton of shame still around child sexual abuse as if it's the victim's problem that it happened. It's just the worst. It's really, really insidious. So Roanoke Park Counseling has trained therapists that work specifically with people individually and in groups to help them kind of see, again, with patterns, right? See how some of their current patterns and relationships formed because of how they got through their abuse, like the tools that they used to get through the abuse when they were kids can bleed into adulthood. So the folks there can help people like shine a light on why you do what you do. And if you're a survivor of child sexual abuse, it can be just indispensable to be around other people who share that language and can understand what you've gone through. And how amazing you are to have gotten to where you are today. So it's an organization I really love and believe in. And yeah, I would recommend checking them out if that's something that could be of interest to you. Shelly, thank you so much for sharing about Roanoke Park Counseling. I feel like what you're talking about on the insidious nature of shame around sexual abuse as a child um, is so profound and especially in all that you're working on to help people with. Thank you so much for being on Good Life Stories today. I've so appreciated everything I've learned from you and about you today, you know, between your coaching practice, all the grief counseling and grief grief recovery method for people, uh, as well as sharing about Roanoke Park counseling and its impact on people. I just can't say thank you enough times for being on my show today. I really appreciate the opportunity, Tracy, and love that you are walking the walk on your own love of storytelling and giving people a platform to share stories with you. It's really a beautiful thing. So thanks for doing what you do. Thanks a lot, Shelly. I just am so happy you've been on the show. Thanks again. Yeah, you bet. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. 
Thanks so much for listening to Good Life Stories. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please visit our website at goodlifestories.com for more show notes and additional episodes. Please subscribe and consider rating and reviewing the show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts to help others connect to us. Who do you know with a good life story? I would love to hear from you. Good Life Stories, creating connection one story at a time.